He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the perfect judge, the perfect defender, and our perfect savior. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth with Madison Sanderson. Grab your Bible, a cup of coffee, and let's celebrate him. Hello, friends, and welcome back to In Spirit and Truth with Madison Sanderson. That would be me. Today, we are going to be starting pretty much a new series. Um, I have been doing some episodes that were things that I've wrestled with and things that um, have just kind of been more pertinent in my life at that moment or in people's lives that are around me or just conversations that have been held. But I have decided that for this summer, since I am out of school and I'm not working as often as I had to before because of the move that my husband and I made, that I'm going to be doing some deeper episodes, things that um, involve more history, things that involve more, um, basically just more research that I've had to do or, or have been able to do, to be honest. A lot of this has been really, really cool. I've never been a history person, and so I thought that this would be super boring, but it's been great because it has really helped me to understand where, um, kind of where our world was at at one point whenever it comes to scripture and uh, basically biblically where it was at and then where we've come since then. Uh, And it just kind of helps me to understand where I stand on all this as well because uh, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, it is an about me episode and it's specifically talking about how for seven years... I was living a Christian life and would have always stated the entire time that I was such a devout believer, but I started realizing that that was not necessarily, it wasn't wrong, but it wasn't as true as I thought that it was. So because of that, we're going to kind of get started today with a deeper lesson on the Reformation, which is what started a long time ago. I'm not going to get into details just yet, but it's something that started a long time ago that kind of shook the world. Um, It pretty much was one of, in my mind, one of the coolest things after Christ dying on the cross, obviously. That was the best thing that could ever possibly happen to our world. And then the Reformation just kind of brought it back to But before we do that, I'm going to take a really quick break, and I'm going to play a sponsored ad. So we'll be right back. Okay, so we are obviously going to be covering the Reformation, which was something that happened many, 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 many years ago. And a lot of us probably know a little bit about it. We may even know who started it or why it was started, but I can honestly say that I didn't understand just how deep and how rich this movement was. And so it's something that I have loved getting to study even more and have been trying to spend even more time learning more about it because I realized that uh, scripture itself, of course, definitely is what forms my life. But understanding, or I guess for me, going from the change of being someone who did not have a faith like I thought that I did, one that was still very me-centered. I was a very seeker-sensitive kind of person. 
And going from that to where I am now, I've had a lot of things I've had to unlearn. And so this has kind of been really helpful for me is whenever I'm struggling through those things. And I know that it's in scripture, but I don't necessarily know scripture well enough just yet. Um, the Reformation has helped me because it kind of brings me back to just like the another little um, solid foundation to put your feet on to just kind of get you through those moments. So what was the Reformation? Basically, back, um, I mean, back a long time ago, but especially in the 1500s, in the early 1500s, uh, their, the religion of the time was um, Roman Catholicism. And they were trying to basically run um, everybody's, I don't necessarily want to say lives, but that's one of the best examples. They really were. They didn't really want people to understand scripture. They didn't want people to be able to read for themselves. They don't want people to um, follow scripture itself. Instead, they wanted them to follow more traditions. So there's a lot of times that they would say in that um, people will argue for them and will state that, well, they were scripture and tradition, but the Reformation came in and they were scripture alone. It's not tradition. And you can probably think about the stories that you've heard in the Bible itself, where there were Pharisees who held more to the tradition than they did to Jesus, who was physically in front of them, trying to explain to them that they were wrong in their traditions and that he and his way was what was correct. And they still didn't want to listen to it. So, basically, you have this religion that they they believed that you could um, you could earn your grace, you could earn merit, you could earn uh, pretty much anything that you would want um, within reason. I mean, at this time, obviously, they didn't have as much stuff as we do nowadays. And nowadays, um, this is kind of under the blanket of the prosperity gospel and the health and wealth, name it, claim it gospel. Um, because it's, it's kind of the same thing, but it's not, uh, Catholic, if that makes sense. So in the 1500s, we're faced up against what is the prominent, um, the prominent belief at that time. And so these people are being told that they have to earn their way to heaven. They have to have enough merit. They have to be good enough. They have to be able to, you know, fix themselves to get to this certain spot. And the best way to do that is buying your way to heaven. So you would go to um, the Pope and you would, um, or some of their other people, and you would pay them to then get some of the merit that was uh, left behind in this treasure chest of some sort um, that was full of Jesus' merit, uh, Mary's merit, and then the saint's merit that was left over that they didn't use. And so you were able to buy this merit, which would then help you to get into heaven. And as I stated, they weren't, the people were not taught to read their Bibles. They weren't taught to open God's word and at that time, no, it was harder because of the fact that we didn't have all the translations then that we do now, but it was still and it was still available. There were still ways for you to get the Bible or to actually have the Bible read to you, um, translated for you. There was ways around that, um, but the, the Catholic Church didn't want them to. 
because if they started believing in God alone instead of believing that they had to make themselves perfect for God, then their the church's money would be gone. They were no longer going to be trusting in tithers and believers. They were just going to be trusting and they just wanted to trust in the fact that they could somehow weasel money out of people. Did it cause a separation between the people and God? Yes, because they were being taught a false doctrine. They were being taught a false... I mean, I can't say that about every single church. And obviously, I was not there. I was many, many years later born. But um, anything that doesn't preach on God and the fact that he's the one who uh, saves you and that Jesus died on the cross for you is a false doctrine. And it's uh, one that obviously the Reformation was coming up against. So uh, you can fast forward to when Martin Luther came onto the scene. A lot of people know the name Martin Luther. A lot of people were probably like me whenever I was younger, and I was always thinking, well, Martin Luther and Martin Luther King are the same person. For those of you thinking that, they were not. They were vastly different people. Um, they had different They had different um, goals in mind, I guess you could say, and obviously Martin Luther King Jr. was not born in 1483 like the Martin Luther was. So, they're not the same person. But um, Martin Luther was an Augustinian monk. And he is well known for the fact that he nailed his 95 theses uh, against the Roman Catholic practice of selling what I was telling you. They were selling indulgences. And so he nailed it to the door of the castle church. So, it was a big deal at that time. Um, And I don't want you thinking that he nailed like 95 sounds like a really big number and it is, but it wasn't like an entire book that he nailed to this. Basically what it is, is it's um, thesis is, it is 95 bullet points basically that is explaining where the Roman Catholic church is getting it wrong and how the Bible is telling us that we are supposed to be living and how we are supposed to be um, doing all of um, our life for the glory of God. So he does this and it causes a big stir. There were people that had come before him and they had kind of done these things, but the thing that worked best for him was right around this time, there was also the printing press that came out. And so he was able to then get the 95 Theses um, printed and into the hands of all the people that were around there. Well, not all, but a lot of the people that were around there. And it started catching wildfire uh, or like wildfire. And then you go and then you have, um, <coughs> sorry, you have other reformers um, such as Zwingli or Zwingli. And he was right around the same time as uh, Luther And then you have, I mean, a lot of people will know John Calvin, who was around the same time as well. He was, I think, about 20 years later when he actually create or started his um, promotion of his Calvinist view, which was not actually what he called it, but that was what was then termed for him. Um, But we're going to get to that in a little bit. So what did Martin Luther believe? We're not going to go through all the 95 things, but basically it comes and it sums up 
to five major points, which are the ones that we have talked about before. And we're going to go into greater detail today about what those are. So there's the five solas. And sola is, it means alone. And you'll figure out why. So um, you have the solus Christus, sola gratia, sola fide, and soli deo gloria, and then also sola scriptura. So what do each of those mean? Well, you also you obviously have solus Christus means in Christ alone. So that means there's no other way to get to heaven except through Christ. Because again, he's coming up against the Catholic Church who does not believe that. They do believe that you can earn your way and they do believe that you can buy your way into heaven. And so you have to you have to be able to, you know, buy well, just like I said, buy your way in. But Martin went through scripture. And if you read your your Bible, you will see that it is the only way. Christ is the only way. He says it time and time again in so many different ways that he is the only way. So that was a big eye opener. And then sola gratia, which means by grace alone. So it's not because we did anything to earn Christ's dying on the cross so that we could then have a relationship with God. It was purely because of God's grace. It was only by God's saving grace that that happened. We didn't do anything for it. We couldn't earn that. And just going back to the same thing, we couldn't earn it. We couldn't buy these things. It was strictly through grace and sola fide, which means by faith alone, which means we we have to have the faith alone. It's not um, the Catholic Church at the time, and still Catholic Church to this day, is um, works plus faith. So works is their biggest thing. It's not faith. But for a Reformed person, it is faith alone. We do believe that there are works, but the works come from the faith. And the works just show that you are a believer. It does not give you credit. It does not also discredit you if um, you don't have as many works as the person next to you. It is purely by a faith alone. And um, we have our sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. Obviously, all of these points, all of the, the time that Martin Luther spent studying the the word and studying it against the Roman Catholic Church at that time, he got all the differences between them purely from scripture. And so when he says that we are called to live like this, or we are called to live like this, or you guys are saying we need to do this, but the Bible says this, he's stating that he is specifically pointing out that they are against scripture. They are going against scripture when they say to do something certain and to live a certain way that is not in the Bible. Or it might kind of be in the Bible, but they're going to misconstrue it or they're going to add to it. Um, That's kind of a big deal nowadays as well. Um, And so it's scripture alone, which also means that we purely live by scripture alone. Um, Well, I'm trying to starting to get ahead of myself. We're going to cover a little bit on that. Uh, on my next episode. My next episode is going to be more about the uh, Reformation today. Like what does it look like for us as believers? And this is more just your background so that you know. So um, just be looking forward to that. So then the last uh, sola is the soli deo gloria, which means for God's glory alone. 
So obviously, all of this is saying that um, we come to him through Christ alone, purely by his grace and only through faith, not through works. Um, And it's all specifically through his scripture that we learn and we do all of this stuff purely so that God can be glorified. And also God does this stuff. God gives us the grace. God gave us Christ. God allows us to have faith and God gave us the scripture purely for his own glory as well. So when, when Martin was trying to help the people around him to understand that we aren't living our life to just work every day to earn money so that we could then go buy favor, go buy merit. Um, it was purely so that God was glorified in all that we did. And then through that, like when you start shifting your mind to the, to the concept that, well, I do want to glorify God in every single thing that I do it starts changing the way that you approach a lot of different things. And obviously at that time, it was, I mean, just like nowadays, it was a big deal because that was not, that was not the Catholics church or the Catholics um, call for the people for it to be all about God alone. That wasn't it. It was God and all the other saints as well. So that's still, as you know, a Catholic church is still very much like that. Um, you pray to the different saints, you pray to Mary, but this is specifically saying that it is, it's only for God's glory and not for Mary's glory, not for the saints glory or anything like that. And it's not for your glory. The only glory that actually matters is God's. And so that was one of the biggest points or not one of the biggest, but those were the five biggest points that really came out of Martin Luther's, uh, 95 theses. So then after all of that, you then move to John Calvin. And of course, there were some that were in there like uh, William Tyndall. He was a really big part of that as well. There were some other ones that I kind of knew about, but not a ton. And we're not really going to cover them because the two main people that we tend to know the most about, or at least know the names about, are Martin Luther and John Calvin. So those are the ones that we're going to cover. So then you move to John Calvin, who was um, born in 1509. So, like I said, he was about two, uh, 20 years after Martin Luther, but uh, he also died about 20 years later than Luther as well. But he, he basically was the person who started Calvinism. And what, what is Calvinism? Well, Calvinism has, it's the five points what we all call, um, a lot of people refer to it as tulip, and it's the five points of Calvinism. Basically, what it's saying um, is that um, there's the T, which is total depravity, U is unconditional election, L is limited atonement, or some people use particular redemption. Doesn't necessarily fit in the tulip lineup, but there it is. Uh, I is for irresistible grace and P is for the perseverance and preservation of the saints. So this is saying that um, in salvation, we, we, we strive, we understand these things through scripture. Calvin was very, very, very cautious of making sure that all his points came specifically from scripture as well. And it specifically talks about the people for the most part. Um, so, um, 
most most reform people are going to be Calvinists. They just kind of go hand in hand. It is very, 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 very rare to meet a reformed person who is an Arminian because it does not, those do not align. And so um, at the time, this was a kind of a, obviously a big deal. And still today, this is a big deal. There's actually, most evangelical churches do not hold to all these points. Um, that would be churches that are not reformed do not hold to all these points some will hold to a couple of them like two or three and occasionally you'll have four but most of them will not accept the fact that um it is um the unconditional election and limited atonement they don't they don't really want to accept that sort of stuff um and so they will lean more towards the Arminian theology so with that, does that make you a Calvinist if you lean on it, if you agree to all four things and not the other? I don't really think so if that is your main point that you don't agree with. I would believe that you are more of an Arminian, um, and it's just something that we will eventually talk about. But what is the difference between a Calvinist and Arminian? Um, there's many different things, but the main one that most people obviously will argue against is the fact that um, Calvinists do believe that God predestined who was chosen and he chose them and that when Christ died on the cross, while it says that he died for the whole world, it wasn't the whole world in general. It was the world of those who was chosen and who was predestined to be saved by him. And so that, yes, there are people who are destined for hell. There are people who were created with the purpose of hell. And so the Arminians don't believe that. Um, they believe that God died for every single person and that every person has the opportunity to come to God at least once in their life and that they have to do at least part of the work to get to God and then he will finish the rest. And so that is very much, um, that's very much saying that, that we are capable of even partially saving ourselves. And I completely do not believe that whatsoever. Um, you might, and that is okay. It's not something that I would necessarily want to argue about forever, but that is kind of a big deal. And so um, at this time, again, it was a huge deal to learn this sort of stuff because the Catholic Church was teaching all these people that you could be in heaven no matter who you are if you just spent enough money and then now they're learning that well actually God is has already chosen specific people so how in the world can these how in the world can these two things actually coexist and to be honest they really don't you can't have one and the other you have to have one or the other um because you can't try and earn your way to God, but believe that it's only through God and that God is the only one who does the work. So that was kind of Calvin's big thing was he obviously started these um, these five points and they they were not called tulip at the time. That was just um, that was changed down the road to make it easier to remember, which, to be honest, I still forget sometimes what those actually stand for. My husband and I will kind of quiz each other and um, we kind of suck at it, but we're getting there. 
Um, so something I wanted to say about um, Calvinism is that there is a movie that you can watch called Calvinist. And it is really, really good. And it kind of help ex- helps explain this. And it's only about, I think, like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, my husband and I watched it twice yesterday because it's just so good. It covers all of this. And it really goes in depth more on what was happening at the time that this Reformation was happening. Because the world was, it was almost like, I look at it and it's almost like it was asleep and just kind of going through the motions of all these traditions and we're just going to do the same thing every single day every single year we're going to do the same stuff we're going to do the same stuff and then it's just almost like it was everybody was running on autopilot but whipping out their billfolds and paying the church to make sure that even though they were doing everything the same way that they were supposed to because of tradition they wanted to make sure that they got into heaven um And then the Reformation comes and it completely shakes all of that up because it no longer allows you to fall under the um, doctrines that the Catholic Church follows. Because, I mean, as we just discovered, there's nothing about both of those that we will agree on. Um, And so it was completely changing the world. And it's something that needed to happen because after that, it just kind of, it exploded and people started genuinely having relationships with God and having their own relationships with God. And I believe that God started actually getting more glory during that time than ever before because he had people that were not trying to buy their way into heaven, but instead they were understanding that God sent his son purely because of grace and because of love and that was it and he chose you and he saved you and that that was I'm sure like one of the biggest weight reliefs and one of the biggest moments where people were probably just prostrate on the floor sobbing about the idea that God did all the work they don't have to do anything but believe that Jesus died for them. I mean, imagine growing up in a time where you never heard that. That wasn't taught. They didn't have Bibles. They didn't read their Bibles if they did have them. It was not common for people to be able to spout off Scripture at that time. If you wanted to know Scripture, you usually were going to school for it, and that was it. And so... That was a big movement at that time, and it's starting to come back around. Like I said, we're going to have another episode kind of covering this, but I want you to be thinking between now and then, how is this Reformation starting again? How are we at that point where um, our world is at a point where we need this? We need these truths, and how have we shifted so much between then and now? So I highly recommend going and watching um, Calvinist. It is, again, really, really good. And it will cover a lot of this stuff as well. And also just do, you know, do some more research, like I've told you many, many times before. Um, This is a really short episode, and that's A-OK, because my other one's going to come out this week, too. Um, We're going to be trying to get out more episodes per week, because, like I said, it's summer, so I don't have school. So I have a little more time, and I I really want to get more content out there for you guys as well. So... 
thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review, it can just be stars or it can be a written review on in, uh, on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated because it helps me to get the gospel out there more. And that is my biggest my biggest desire with this podcast is to just reach as many people with the gospel as I possibly can and in a way that God has blessed me to be able to use and to utilize. So I love you and I hope that you have a great time and go and check out that movie. Bye guys.